When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. How you doing, Allison? Peachy. <laughs> <laughs> you sound thrilled. <laughs> well, it's mid-January, you know. It's my favorite time of year. <laughs> I went on a hike with Octavian. When was it? Monday? Tuesday? Monday. I don't know. This is like an old people conversation. I don't know. Was it Wednesday? It might have been Thursday. And it re- it's totally irrelevant what day it was. It Let me do been... another take of that. Okay. Earlier in the week, mm-hmm. at some point... I went on a hike with Octavian, and I wanted to show him some of these walls in Hex Hollow. There's this one area, well, there's walls all over Hex Hollow. The general consensus locally is that they're all farm walls. Good fences do make good neighbors. And that they are property boundaries. And looking at these walls, I've often thought, how many farms were down there? Right? It's not a super populated place now. Mm-mm. Way back when, it's not like there was like a development of farms down there. No, a lot of those areas, even like you know where we live now, it would have been one family that owned a huge portion of it. And they might have parceled it off to other family members. And these walls are relatively low, most of them. They wouldn't keep any animals out. They're not keeping anything out or in. And then I've had people say, well, the, the farmers built them just to get the rocks out of the field. That's not how we did it on the farm. When we were clearing rocks out of the garden, we didn't take time to walk over and build a nice wall with them. We'd take them and we'd chuck them into the woods. (laughs) And the thing is that there'll still be more rocks in there. Yeah. That's not all the rocks. So my theory for a long time has been that these walls are older than Europeans and, and potentially far older. And there's one particular place in there that's has several walls that kind of intersect and a wall that winds through the woods and ends in what appears to be a serpent head. And this doesn't follow any old waterways or anything, does it? I mean, they're near creeks, but it... But they're, but it's not skirting the outside of it. Like I was trying to figure out a reason why it might be that shape. No, no. Okay. no these are running through the middle of the woods down a hill. Like, there's no, there's no apparent reason. Why it would be wavy like that. It appears to be a serpent to me. It winds through the woods and ends in what looks like a a snakehead. Or a pile of rocks, maybe. I don't know. But it's certainly at the end of this winding 
stone wall is a pile of rocks in a sort of vaguely triangle diamondish shape. You know, mm-hmm. I think these walls are quite possibly older than European stuff. And our friend Steve, our local friend, he thinks so too. You know what it reminds me of? What? They remind me of when Gideon and I visited American Stonehenge. It reminded me of that. Are there walls there at American Stonehenge? Yeah. Yeah. And they just, they sort of intersect and they're, they're, some of them are like, make kind of grids. And in many ways, it reminds me of that. So my suspicion is that these walls are far older than when the European people got here. Throwing a wrench into that, though, there are some walls down there that are certainly European-made and were certainly made by farmers and did mark certain areas. So it's a big question mark. But anyway, I wanted to show Octavian one of these walls, and we went off trail. And from a long distance away, I saw something white hanging in the tree. What is that? There's something bright white. I get closer, and I get closer. I'm like, is that a tampon? Cool. (laughs) And I got closer to it, and... Yes, it was, and it was tied onto a branch. That is weird, and my mind is going to all these places where people have made connections between women's menstruation and times they see cryptids and so forth, and I'm like, you know... Can can we preface this by saying this was a unused tampon? It appeared to be (laughs) (laughs) fresh from the package. (laughs) To the best of yours and Octavian's ability to discern that. (laughs) Right. I, I I didn't touch it. I didn't investigate any more than than looking at it from, yeah. from a safe distance. Uh-huh. <laughs> safe distance. <laughs> I know most men like to cut a, a huge, about an eight-foot swath around uh, feminine hygiene products. That... But, you know, that's where my mind went. My mm-hmm. mind goes to these woo connections. Now, the odd thing is it's right beside one of these walls, and there weren't other ones. I could see no other ones. But I, I talked about it on Discord, and some folks on Discord said, yes, people use them as trail markers, and they, they actually sent links and I guess this is the thing, because they're bright white, and you can see them very well, people do use them as trail markers. They're too expensive for that. <laughs> I, well, I can't speak to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying what the article said, yeah. and this was certainly there, and it was effective. Yeah, I saw yeah. it from a long way away, but it was a little odd. It was just like there in the middle of nowhere. I had never heard of that before, but apparently it's a thing. Finally. Readily available supplies for women. They're just tied to the trees in the middle of the woods. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a little odd, but hey, I guess not. I guess somebody was marking that for some reason, but there was no markers leading to or away from it. So I don't, they still would have had to go off trail a good ways until they saw it. Especially if they were. Did you think about the fact that it could be marking treasure? Well, I did actually. Afterwards, (laughs) I was thinking, why was it right by the wall? And yeah, maybe maybe there's treasure there. Like the wrapper? <laughs> maybe there's something hidden in the wall there. Maybe there's something right under it. Maybe I should have dug. Yeah, maybe there's a, a maxi pad underneath. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was a little bit of... Uh, One of those I, old-timey belts, maybe, for like the old... <laughs> I guess not weirdness. Yeah. You know. That's weird, but of a different sort than uh, yeah, usual. Yeah. On tonight's show, however, we won't be talking about feminine hygiene products anymore. I'm going to be talking with MJ. So last week, Jennifer was on, and she talked about some of these encounters that her, I guess, ex-boyfriend, on a break boyfriend, I don't know the status of their relationship at the moment. Friend. Her friend had had in, in York County. And he heard the show, and he contacted me and said, 
hey, I can give you more details on these sightings. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. And I thought, you know what? Let's just do it for this episode, back to back. So he's going to tell us more about what he calls the loop guru, which is French for werewolf. Uh, He prefers to call it that as opposed to dogman, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine with me. Anybody who's not calling it dogman, any other name than dogman, I'm happy with. So arose by any other name. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got that. And he, he had an encounter with what he said was an albatross. I'm guessing he was just saying that because it was local. He didn't see it, but he found a footprint and heard, a, heard wood knocks. But then he told me the footprint was like 18 inches long. I'm like, well, that sounds more like Bigfoot to me. Mm-hmm. You know? But I guess he thought because it was local, it, it was yeah. Oh, it was yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They don't have disproportionately large feet, do they? The yeah. albatross. I don't think so. I've not heard stories that they did. So, more wolf things tonight. But before we get to that, I would like to thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for your help. Thank you for everything you do. If you like Strange Familiars and you'd like to get extra content besides, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get the weekly shows ad-free, plus full extra episodes every month. We do at least one. Often we do more. Again, to check it out, you can go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. On iTunes, it's Patron of the Strange, and our iTunes subscribers get the weekly commercial-free episodes and the bonus episodes as well. For Strange Familiars merch, strangefamiliars.com slash merch. That's where you go. Before we get to MJ, I wanted to mention this neat story that a listener named Sarah told me about. You can hear me rattling the paper. She was involved with setting this show up in New Zealand. It's called Saints in Coffee Jars. It's an art show? It's an art show. I'm going to let you read about it here. Okay. Now, will you be setting me up for any pronunciation that I have no ability to do? I checked in with you beforehand, and Mm -hmm. you know the words to replace with other words. Okay. So um, we are going to... Not use them as it's Maori. I think it's Maori. We're not using the Maori words just because I don't want to butcher them, not because I don't want to use them. Exactly. So that, here we go. I feel like that would be more disrespectful. In 2021, an assortment of bone fragments and metalwork were discovered in coffee jars buried beneath the ruins of Christchurch's Roman Catholic Basilica. What are these fragments and why did they come to be buried? Recovered before the basilica, badly damaged by the 2010 2011 earthquakes, was deconstructed. The contents of the coffee jars have many stories to tell. One is that of Bishop John Grimes himself. Like the buried fragments, Bishop Grimes is largely forgotten in 21st century Christchurch, yet as Christchurch's first Roman Catholic bishop, he was not only responsible for building the basilica, but was also a civic leader who left his mark on fields that range from education to animal welfare. The assorted bones and metalwork, once a carefully curated collection of holy relics, many of whose origins can be traced to medieval and early modern Europe, were central to Bishop Grimes' vision of a Christian society transplanted into the Southern Hemisphere. The exhibition tells the story of Bishop Grimes' relic collection. It explains the concept of a relic, tracing the development of an idea, one that was sometimes opposed strongly across 20 centuries, and it explores why this particular collection remained buried beneath the basilica for more than 40 years. Explore the captivating mysteries of Christchurch's past at our upcoming exhibition, presented by the University of Canterbury and the Catholic Diocese of Christchurch Archives, unearthed from the ruins of Christchurch's Roman Catholic Basilica, an intriguing assortment of bone fragments and metalwork concealed in coffee jars awaits your discovery. 
delve into the story of Bishop John Grimes, who assembled this remarkable collection of holy relics as Christ Church's inaugural Roman Catholic bishop. Bishop Grimes not only built the basilica, but also played a pivotal role as a civic leader. Join us as we unravel the history of relics, their hidden significance, and ponder their future. Don't miss this extraordinary journey through time and faith. So if you remember, one of the shows I did with Brother Richard, might have been the second or third show I did with him, was specifically on relics. And when Sarah, our listener from New Zealand, wrote to tell me about this, she's involved with this. Like a curator? She's not a curator. She's involved. She's somehow involved with the diocese of yeah. Christchurch. She had heard that episode of Strange Familiars. And she said, in some way, that episode, Brother Richard and I have played a, a very small part. And I would never take credit for this. This is what she told me. Mm-hmm. But we played a, a very small part in this exhibition coming to be because we made her aware of what relics were and, and so forth. So that was super touching to both Brother Richard and I. I told Brother Richard, and he was just like, wow. Both of us are super touched by that. Thank you, Sarah. I can't take any credit, and I'm sure Brother Richard wouldn't take any credit, but if we did have some small part in this, I, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. She asked if I could mention it for our New Zealand listeners, which we do have quite a few in a weird I don't know if it's synchronicity or what. After her email, we had some patrons from New Zealand previous, but we got like three or four new patrons from New Zealand. Oh, like, they got to be related, right? I don't know. I don't know. It's just in the ether. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll put this link in the show notes for the exhibit. It's artscenter.org.nz slash what's dash on slash saints dash in dash coffee dash jars. So that's a mouthful but we'll put the link in the show. Can we go there this weekend and just get some sun in the meantime? (laughs) It probably stays late, really late there right now. The exhibit starts in February. It's the 6th through the 10th of February. So we'll try to mention it again as well. Okay. I think I'm going to have someone on the flowered path to talk about it. But I did want to mention it on Strange Familiars too, since it, it sort of started, I guess, on Strange Familiars with Brother Richard. We'll try to mention it again before the exhibit starts. But if you're in New Zealand, it's a cool exhibit, sounds like. I'd be going if I was there. All right. Are you ready to hear some wolf stories? I am. Some upright wolf stories? Mm-hmm. Some, I don't care if they're reclining. Some dog man. <laughs> That's how you have to say it. <laughs> dog it's mandatory man. that you say it that way. In the common vernacular. All right. Let's get to MJ stories. I'm talking with MJ tonight. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Well, Jennifer was on last week, and she kind of let us in on a few of these stories, and you said you have more detail to give us. Did it all start happening outside of Red Lion? Yeah, I would believe it did, though I suspect it might have started even earlier in my childhood, possibly. Really? Well, tell us about that. So, I obviously grew up in York County, born and raised here. I've lived in Seven Valleys, Shrewsbury, Red Lion, Eastern York, and now I live in Spring Grove and York, New Salem region. Mm-hmm. You're hitting every town in the county. Every town, basically on the south end of 83, <laughs> which seems to be all the fun areas. Yeah, there you go. My grandfather grew up in Glen Rock, so I'm very familiar with that area, and I was down there quite frequently. But it's here and there. I can't recall much. I just always had this feeling that I wasn't alone. 
especially at night. Mm. I always felt like I had eyes on me. Mm-hmm. Never knew why. Still don't know why. But let's get more to current. Which where do you want me to start? When's the first time you noticed like something physical, whether whether you saw something or whether you saw evidence or something along those lines? So the first time I noticed something, we'll call it more interesting or physical or more personal encounter wise. Mm-hmm. That was deliberate, we'll say. I was living in Redline. I was living right off 74 South, just about two miles down Delta Road. There's a small little cul-de-sac there. I lived at the end of it with my family. I want to say it was probably 2018 when I resided there. The fall of 17 to the spring of like 2019. Okay. As I lived from at that property. So... The first year, I didn't notice much, but it just, this property in particular, this area, but mainly this property in particular, it has a different aura to it. There is a set of woods right behind the house that is part of a, part of the cul-de-sac. It was a recreational area. It's only like 15 acres, and it touches a farm field. There's no neighbors behind me, but just something about that area. And then we'll start with that and describe the property for you. It's about 15 acres. It's a little square lot behind my property. And it butts right up. It has woods and stuff. Majority of it, about 12 acres of that is woods. It was weird because during the daytime, everything's at peace, it feels, in the, in the atmosphere. The feeling in the area is peaceful. But as that sun starts encroaching down towards the horizon, especially when it starts touching the horizon and starting going below that, you can just start to feel the energies changing. You don't feel alone mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. This area has a lot of deer, a lot of good signs for animal, good like squirrels, chipmunks, birds. You'll hear them all during the day. But as soon as dusk approaches, they go quiet. You don't hear a word. You don't hear a sound. You don't see a deer. You really don't. I mean, I've seen a few coming home at night, but most nights you don't hear them. You don't see them. Mm -hmm. You can walk the woods at night. I've done it a few times. You you can't even spook them if they're there. It's just that eerie, dead, dead silence. You know, you you know you're not apex predator in the woods at, at that time. That's how it feels. You know, us humans are used to being... The alpha apex everywhere we go, right? Yeah, yeah. You walk in the woods, there's nothing you can do to feel alpha, like the apex predator anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just that that blanket over that area. You just you feel vulnerable, quite honestly. So in this same area, just as a note for the listeners, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, we have had three different, in this general area you're talking about, not specifically where you're saying, but in, in the general area, we've had three different albatwitch sightings by two different people. One, a guy saw one when he was young, very young, and this would have been quite close to where you're saying. He and his brother were playing outside at dusk, he said, and they saw this creature, and he said it was very strange. This little hairy creature stood about three to four feet high, and he said it had its eyes shut and its hands clenched. He said like a little kid when they close their eyes, like, you know, I have my eyes closed so you can't see me. And he said his brother walked right up to this thing. 
he got scared for his brother and just grabbed him and said, no, get away from that, and ran into the house. Years later, as an adult, he sees the same thing, or one like it, run across the road in front of his truck. This guy was shook when he told me these stories. He was very shook. There's another report yeah. on uh, Phantoms and Monsters of a woman who described a four-foot-tall hairy thing running. Now, this was on Crayley Road, but still you know, headed out town that way. The Crayley Road's not too far from where I was. Right. And then my old co-host, James, who was on the show back in the early days, he tells a story, and I was trying to get him on to tell this, but he, he's been busy. He tells the story of being in Brogue, staying at his friend's house, and looking out the window and seeing something crawling on top of his friend. I think it was their, either their barn or their chicken house. He said he never could figure out what this thing was, something really strange. Also, between Brogue and Red Lion is where John from Riverbend Comics saw the bunny man the one time, uh, just a guy in a bunny suit sitting in a field waving at cars. He said he was illuminated from above. And the strange thing is, I asked him, well, was he sitting under a light? What do you mean he was illuminated? What was lighting him up? And he said, I don't know. That's really troubled him. He said, I never thought about that. And he couldn't say what was lighting him up, but he said he was illuminated from above. That's a very strange thing. So this area has some weird stuff beyond this. Um, sorry to interrupt your flow, but I just wanted to put that out there for the listeners and for you in case you hadn't heard these stories. No, I have not heard of Bunny Man. I have very much heard about the ABBA, which I, I might pronounce the air wrong. I do apologize. And actually, we'll get that one next. But I like to refer to the Dog Man or, or the Werewolf, as you call it, as a Lucaroo. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to go. So one night I was out there letting my two dogs outside to let them go out in the bathroom to watch and make sure they didn't run off. And I'm sitting there on the porch. And my porch is about 40 yards from the edge of the woods. We have floodlights around the house. It lights up the whole yard. But it doesn't go to the woods. It's just on that crisp. And when I'm letting them out, I just I can't stop looking at the woods. Just some, I just feel like i got to watch these woods. Just something's there. I know it's there. I just feel it. You feel you're not alone. You know, you just know exactly where it's at, too. So I'm watching the woods, you know, and I'm just sitting there. And all of a sudden, I see something bipedal, jet black. I would have to say for almost for certain seven feet tall. Because I did go out at the next morning and measure that spot in particular based on height. Mm-hmm. Did not find any tracks at that exact location. But it crouched down and looked around the tree at me. And as soon as I saw it, I rushed the dogs in, you know, fear of safety, because I could clearly kind of see what it looked like. And to me, that was like, all right, if this is a Lucaroo, and they're known to be aggressive from folklore, though no one's truly sad, my first thought is to get the dogs inside, ASAP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even with Sasquatch, I tell people, you know, be wear, like, right. be careful with your dogs around this this stuff. Yeah. The weird part is the dogs didn't even know. Hmm. It did. The dogs didn't sense it, and usually they're very acute to weird things like that. And yeah, I've heard stories how dogs can sense heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So I rushed them in. I didn't see it for I want to say almost four weeks. This was like November, end of November. Before we move on from this one. You saw it standing up first, and then it kind of ducked behind the tree. What I could see from the edge of the spotlights off the house is 
It was crouched. It was probably knees 45 degrees crouched. You know, like kind of like peeking out like a kid would around the corner. Mm-hmm. And you could just see it peeked out. I saw its hands wrap on the tree. And I had to estimate his hands were at least 18 inches. The measurement on the tree is almost 36 inches across in mm-hmm. width. His hand encased almost almost a whole third, if not more, of the side of the tree. And you could see it was long, slender claws. More humanoid hands. But, yeah, I ran dogs inside. And the next day, you know, daylight hours, I went out and measured the tree. His hand, from where I measured, was probably on a crouch. His hand was about three and a half feet off the ground, roughly. Okay. So I estimated... If he was crouching at that degree, he was cl- he was close to being seven feet in a vert- straight vertical position. Okay. And at that size, he's probably 500 pounds. Could you see that it was covered with hair? It was jet black. I didn't really get to see that snout, but mm-hmm. I did see the remnants of his body, like the figure. What made you say, like, Lucaroo instead of Bigfoot, for instance, or something like that? I saw the snout. I oh, saw okay. the outlining. Like I said, he was blacker than night. So mm-hmm. on the light, he stand, he's blacker than the surroundings. Okay. So it, I guess you would say the, sh- the sheer of the, the fur, the glare on it, mm-hmm. you could kind of see it. Mm-hmm. I saw his head poked down. He was looking away, kind of like bashfully almost. It was weird. He wasn't looking at me. And I just, at that moment, that was the last thing I saw before I ran and got the dogs. Mm-hmm. I've got footprints, photos. For the listeners, my shoe size is a 10 and a half, and it has about almost five more inches in length on me. So that was the first encounter I had with him. The next encounter I had at that property was actually with Nabowich. Oh, really? Yes, I was doing, you know, I like to research cryptics and all that fun stuff. So I figured, okay, the rumors of the Abowich in the area. I live right in the area. So one day I go out in the woods. I pick up a stick. Okay. Folklore is Abowitches are a form of Sasquatch. So they respond with tree knocks. So I went out there and I gave a, I found a good solid stick and I whacked a tree twice. Not, not expecting to get anything back in return. I got an answer back. And I would say it's about four o'clock in the afternoon on the summer's late spring day. So the sun was still decently in the horizon. I went back in, came out the next day to investigate. And I found a footprint. But I've got both an Abowich footprint and a, and a Lucaroo footprint. That property had five points of purposely made courts. Like someone deliberately dug courts up and put them in a pile. This is quartzite, like white? Smoky courts. Are we talking clear courts or, court, or, or white quartzite? A white smoky quartz, so the real smoky one, not the nice gem-style ones, but the smokes, okay. the smoky ones. Mm-hmm. But what was weird is each spot, the main spot had, the circle was probably, I mean, it was a pile. It looked like someone moved them and dumped them. But then my thought is, okay, who dumps this much quartz separately, deliberately all quartz, separated? The circle had to be... And I mean the pile, I'll give you a diameter. It was probably a three-foot diameter circle, and they were probably about three-foot high pile. 
Oh, that's quite a bit. No, yeah, it was it it probably was close to a ton of one ton of quartz, two thousand pounds of quartz sitting right on my property in a circle. And you hadn't seen it before. I noticed it when I moved into the property. Okay, all right. But there's been no excavations on the property in four years. Mm-hmm. And at that amount of quartz, that looked like it was abnormally too much. Mm-hmm. And the weird part is it's separated. So I walked the primitive woods, and there's five points of rock stacked. It's much smaller. I want to say about three feet high and about a foot in diameter, but they're neatly stacked. Like, you know, you'd stack rocks mm-hmm. to make a, a marker. There was five of these stacks throughout the woods. And that's that property. That property was very active in a weird way. And I did see the Lucaru probably... I want to say at least three more times at that property. Really? Mm-hmm. So, man, there's so much here. I'm, I'm excited to talk about all this. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. So what made you say this second en- encounter was an albatross? Just the knocks or? The knocks and the footprint. The oh. footprint was humanoid. Okay. but it, The it, footprint had to be a size 18 foot easily. Size 18? I'm thinking Bigfoot, not albatross, honestly. I mean, I mean, it very well could be. I, I mean. Yeah. I did not see personally either or, mm-hmm. but I definitely got a response. And then the next day there was evidence to support it. Yeah, yeah. Which matches the characteristics of Bigfoot. Right. Yeah, I mean, Albatwitch are supposed to be, you know, four feet tall. So I'm thinking their feet are going to be, their prints are going to be quite a lot smaller if we can find them. And was this a, a trackway or just like a single print? I only found a single print, but it was on a tra- on a trail in the woods. There's like a little trails you can walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. It's not unusual to find like people find single prints all the time. You know, it's kind of weird, but this whole subject is kind of weird. You know, I'm not surprised people just find a no, single print. No, I'm not either. Yeah. And quite honestly, I I was surprised to see it because the re- and I do reason think this is the only reason it was a single print is it hadn't rained in four days. Mm-hmm. The ground was hard. So the fact that it could put a print in the ground on some drier deposits of that area for the ground texture and the comp- the compound that we have in Redline is quite impressive, meaning it must be a, a, quite a heavy creature. Yeah. One of the only footprints I've found, you know, I, I get a kick out of these people who turn up footprints constantly. Maybe it's because we're in PA and, you know, with the the soil so rocky and stuff that we just don't get a chance to. But one of the only ones I found in years and years of doing this was down in Delta. And it was in hard packed mud on the side of the road. And I, yeah, I was jumping up and down. I'm, I'm a big fella. And I couldn't even make a mark in this mud. And this thing, now it was a shallow print, but this thing had left a print in this hard packed mud. Whatever it was must have been super heavy. Yeah, I did the same thing because I'm like, okay, how heavy do you have to be to put a print in? I took my shoe off and see if I could get a a slight uh, side-by-side comparison. And I jumped and and I planted my heel down to put as much impact force in. I barely dented the ground. This had a full print. And Mm -hmm. I'd only say it was just shallow print, but it was a good print. That was the other thing is what also with the Lugaru is I had to print him too on the ground. And it was very canine, and it was as large, at least 18 inches in diameter, too. 
Yeah, that is a massive canine print. I mean, that is... That's why I said between the measurements I took on the tree, the height he was standing at, and the print, that creature's easily 500 pounds. Yeah, I mean, that might be underestimating if it's that size. Yeah. Something that big, if it's a lot of muscle, you know, we could be talking 800 plus pounds. The other encounters with this wolf thing, how did they go? Peaceful. Did you see him at night, day? Day, actually. The two others were during the day. Really? But it was during the summer when the brush, you know, forest gets a lot of dense brush. Mm -hmm. And it was weird because when it laid down, it looked like a dog. It had a tail. But it would lay behind the thickest brush. You almost couldn't tell that there was something there if unless you looked. Because he would lay in the dark, dark, I would say, like, the most shadiest spots mm-hmm. where he'd blend in. He hid behind a pile of brush in a really shady spot of the prop, the wood line. I was sitting on the deck just enjoying a nice summer day, you know, just outside relaxing. And I just happened to, like, scan the woods, and I see a figure, or it's figure, in a sense, because... The leaves would blow, but you could kind of start picking out outlines, and you could tell that it was darker there. So it was weird because at that point you start staring. You're like, what is that? Is that something not normal? The longer I stared, the more I realized it was sitting right there the whole time. It didn't move. It stayed there until I left. I sat on the porch for an hour. Hmm. And before I recognized it, I was already on the porch for another hour. So I've been sitting there two hours relaxing. About how far away from you was it? 100 yards at most. Okay. I guess because it's prone and it's not showing aggression, you're not particularly afraid at this point. You're just more interested in observing it and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. it was, And because it was, I would have to say, because it's also daylight outside. We're mm-hmm. sitting there just at this point, like acknowledging each other's presence and just watching each other, not afraid. If that makes sense. Like we're kind of getting familiar with each other. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And the Lucaroo to me, the one that keeps, I'm going to say following me at this point. I don't know why I keep experiencing him or keep seeing him. I've probably seen him by at this point over the last half decade, at least a dozen times. Oh, wow. And all in York County. Mainly in York County, yes. Mm-hmm. I've seen him twice out in Adams County, out towards Fairfield. But it's eerie. You you just get this feeling you're being watched. And after a while of getting that feeling, you get a weird disturbance in the woods near you. You know, I don't know if Lucaroos or cryptics have a guardian angel aspect, if you want to say that, to them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't feel threatened by it. The trope in the Bigfoot world is once you see one, you know what to look for, so you'll start seeing them again. I don't think that's it at all. I think once you see one, you will sort of unlock something with the other, and they're sort of, um, I don't want to say drawn to you, but you're going to have more opportunities, I guess, to encounter the other after one encounter or more, you know? So (laughs) I don't know that I would phrase it as a guardian angel, but, you know, maybe. Truth is, I don't know why, but I do think that once people have encounters with these things, the chances to have 
an encounter again goes up considerably. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get a better look at the wolf thing than you did that first time you saw it? Other than the, like I said, when I said about the bro- him laying in the brush, mm-hmm. and that, that night where I got a real good look at him, I've never seen him up close ever again like that. Mm-hmm. So I know Jennifer said on your last podcast that we had an experience in Michelle. We didn't see him. I was driving slowly. We didn't see what it was. Mm-hmm. For all I know, whatever came up close to us that day, because there was dogs in the car in front of us, and they were going ballistic. Yeah. I mean, they were like, you know, when someone knocks on your door, they bark. No, this is like they were going ballistic like they were going to, like something was going to kill them or they got to kill something or like just that very aggressive protectedness that animals get. Mm -hmm. They were going nuts. And at that time, the woods went silent there in Michelle. Like, you didn't hear a squirrel. You didn't hear a deer. You didn't hear even a chipmunk. Yeah, that Oz effect, when that happens. When you're... See, I've had it happen, and I wasn't aware of it until I went back and listened to the recording. One of the nights, again, with that fellow James and I, we're out at that area we call Site 7, and we were running a recording, and, and something grunted at us or growled, and we thought we saw something crossed the trail earlier at that night. And then anyway, after it grunted at us, I flipped my flashlight on and, and got eye shine. It wasn't where we heard the sound. Ironically, it was like I turned the flashlight kind of panned it across and uh, got eye shine about, I would say eight plus feet up big, big eye shine looked like two fists. And, you know, we were in the moment and it was pretty shocking, pretty scary stuff. But when I went back to listen to the recording, this was during the summer before that, you know, you could hear insects and you could hear um, screech owls and all kinds of stuff. And then for that whole segment, there's nothing. It's just completely quiet the whole time. And I was like, wow, that is like really weird. And I've experienced it other times as well when I wasn't running the recording. When it happens, it's really eerie. Just everything goes quiet, especially during the summer where you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. My families are, are hunters. So, you know, when animals go quiet there's something very predatorial and very big in the area. Mm-hmm. That's usually a first sign of a big predator moving into the area. Things go quiet. Mm-hmm. And that's the best way to put it is my knowledge of animals and, you know, behaviors of some sort. For everything to go quiet, you're looking at something as big as you were bigger moving in the area. Yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had an encounter before Michelle when I moved to Spring Grove. Now, like I said, I moved there roughly in the end of April of 19. I've been there kind of since. The property which I reside on now has a smaller version of quartz stackings, just like the previous property right in the wood line. This is very interesting. I have a story related to this, but I want you to finish your story before I tell it. Yeah, go ahead. And it was... This property butts up against a golf course. There's a very thin, like, privacy stretch of little, like, someone hasn't taken care of it, so it became a little growth of woods. Probably only five, six feet in width. Mm-hmm. But right in the middle of it, right in the middle of the property lines, left to right, we'll say, this pile is probably a foot wide, two feet tall. But, I mean, there were some big courts in there. It was deliberately placed. It matches the same thing that I experienced in Redline with the quartz pile. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like an offering or whatever. So before I left the Redline property moved, about four weeks before I moved, it was going into March and April. The trees in the area started getting marked. They had scratch marks going down it. And I'm thinking, okay, to myself, I'm like, well, there are deer in the area. Maybe they're scratching their antlers, rubbing the bark off. But what really convinced me that it wasn't deer is the bark was stripped straight down. Like when you peel banana, it looked like someone peeled the bark and laid it, and it fell symmetrically out away from the tree, like a straight line, straight from, away from the tree, mm-hmm. like you peel banana. And it was, at first it was only like one or two trees, but as closer to the date of where I was leaving this property to move away to Spring Grove, more and more trees started getting this marking. And some had gash marks, I want to say an inch into the bark, mm. into the tree. Like something dug its nails into it. And you know, these are three foot width trees. That's not easy to do. That requires massive unhumanly strength to do that. Right. And actually two months before that, 
something pushed a tree over, snapped it at the base, splintered it, just broke it. I have a photo of that because it was weird because around it looked like there was push marks all in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Like the dirt was pushed up. So that red line property was very active in a weird way. And by the time I left, half the trees on that, on that property were scratched up. Huh. Had another local fellow who listened last week, and Jennifer had mentioned the scratches on the trees. And he said, oh, it's a bear. And I said, well, you know, maybe, but you know, we don't tend to get a ton of bears through here. We do get some. There, there was uh, a couple uh, this past year. And he's like, well, that, that would explain that canine print, too, because the front foot of a bear can look like a canine print. And I said, yeah, even though I said, that's a massive bear then, right? <laughs> like, if that's a bear, that's a massive bear for, for the kind of black bears we get around here. That's massive. And it's very interesting to me if it were a bear. I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying, like, you know, let's address no, you're, let's you're address the, right the, the bear thing, you know. Do you in any way feel like it was a bear or, or that it could have been? No. The only reason I say that is where I lived in Red Lion, we were three miles from the town of Red Lion itself. Mm-hmm. A bear of that size would have been noticed months in advance mm-hmm. to my sightings. You you would know if a bear of that size would be in the area. Yeah. And my mom and dad had little trail cameras to see out what's in the woods. Not once did a bear roll across that photo. Mm-hmm. And some of them were pointing towards these trees where the the footprint was, but nothing was caught on camera. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I don't know if this stuff can be caught on camera, honestly. I don't know either. But bears honestly. can. But the weird, <laughs> the weird part is, the, and I did think bear at first, quite honestly. Like I rule out every animal we have in the local area, and nothing could match the size or power required to do this. These trees, I mean, they, it was marked straight vertically down, scratched straight down, eight, nine foot up. And nothing, it didn't look like there was any climb marks where it tried to climb a tree because bears can climb. Mm-hmm. No, this looked like it, something dug and just ripped the tree straight down. Right. Yeah. There was a big bear along Muddy Creek, and I want to say this goes back over a decade ago, long, long time back. And there is bear sign on the trees. You can still see it. But right. it didn't shred the tree all the way down. It left a sign between three to five feet off the ground, something like that, you know, and it would just be marks on the tree. It wasn't shredding the whole tree. You know what I mean? It would it would leave marks. And I thought they were claw marks. At first, I thought it was a mountain lion. And then I, I did some research and it's, bears actually do it with their teeth. They do it with their mouth. That's how they mark trees. Right. The markings on the trees, you could see the the mark the claw marks on it, which was weird. The claw marks went in about an inch into the actual tree itself. And I'd have to ask, there was four marks going straight down that tree, four distinct nail marks coming down. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say between each nail, there was an, at least an inch gap on between each nail. Right, yeah. That's just too wide to be a paw print for a bear even. And as you said, if they do it with their teeth, a teeth shouldn't leave distinguishing individual trail marks of scratch marks going down the tree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this went all the way down to the bait. So it was weird. Okay. Maybe a bear climbed the tree and kind of slid down with its claws. But, you know, as many trees as you're talking about, why? Yeah. We're talking two dozen trees minimum. Yeah. 
Yeah. So a bear, like anything else, it's not going to do some, just waste calories. It's not just going to go out in the woods and like waste calories and like, let me destroy this stuff and just waste a bunch of calories. They're like anything else. They're going to conserve calories and conserve energy. Now we have like, okay, so why? Right. Why? And that's what I was wondering is why. And then I, I started after moving away, I thought about it. The house was posted for sale and then it started then. It was system. It was almost systematically too. It was certain trees in a diameter circle that I will always pass. And it started becoming more and more kind of within that area. It was almost like one every one in every 10th tree was scratched. Then it was one within every fifth tree. They weren't, trees back to back scratched either it was almost strategical is how i want to it showed intelligence are these woods posted or can you get can you access them still they're po- they used to be public property previous owner that took the property also bought the woods behind now and bought that property up so it's completely private property now okay all right because the little park used to be part of the hoa that was defunct and that's a long story but it is private property now as far as i'm aware okay no, it just seemed like they got worse and worse up until the time I moved. It felt like it wasn't happy I was leaving. Well, I was going to say, that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it, that red line property was very unique. I did do some research on dogmen and all that. And apparently there was a sighting closer to red line. I believe it was about a mile and a half up from where I was at. And it was... It was actually sighted off Spring Valley Road in Redline, in the fields back there in that valley before you get to that little town when you turn off 74. Okay. And that sighting was reported five years before mine. From my own curiosity, where was that reported? The sighting before mine? Yeah, yeah. Like, where did you find that? I actually found it on, I think, the PA Cryptic website where they actually post the geological locations of sightings. Okay. All right. Of different creatures. I found it somehow, and I was able to somehow merge it with my Google Maps. Yeah. I don't know how I did it. Yeah, so, no, I'm just usually kind of have a pretty good catalog of this stuff, and I was like, ooh, that's Spring Valley. And I don't it's, know that I knew that It's one of the one. bigger cryptic websites for the Pen- uh, Pennsylvania region. Mm-hmm. But it was very close to where I saw mine. I mean, that's only two miles in a straight direction from where I live. Yeah, yeah. And is that like down Springvale, that area? No, this is literally like exactly two miles down from from the square of Redline from seventy four. Okay. This is like you know where the um that little farm grain, uh, where the people get their feed for the animals. Yeah. Down near the tractor dealership on seventy four. Yeah, sure. Both those sightings were like within a mile of that particular location. Okay. Directly in line from each other. All right. My development was the one up over the ridge. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to give out exact lo- details and locations, you know. Yeah, no, that's fine. that's fine. But, yeah, my sightings were back there. But the last one Jennifer commented on your last episode was the one in Spring Grove. That was probably my last real close encounter with it in, I've had in a while. So this is where she was talking about you had parked by, uh, was it Lake Layman there or whatever? Yes. We were parked on Bent's Road. Near that lake, I can't pronounce it. It, it was Bent's Road in Spring Grove. Mm-hmm. Technically, it's North Cador's Township. Mm-hmm. We were parked there. It was a nice spring night. 
you know, full moon, oddly enough. And we parked up near the Guns uh, Sportsman's Club, actually. The I think it's the Spring Grove Sportsman's Club. Mm-hmm. We parked actually right in front of their gates just to listen, because that's the road we were sitting on. And I'm sitting there. And she told her side, and, you know, she hears something and all and that. Well, when she gets back in the car, I was sitting in the driver's seat. Or no, actually, I was sitting in the back seat right behind the driver's seat. We had the windows cracked, and I was relaxing, listening. And then that's when that it just went dead silent. And I started to feel a little uneasy. But then when she ran into the car and said, we need to leave, I just happened to sit up because I was reclining in the back seat. And I sat up, and I turned around. And... I saw him again. He was on the road about not even 100 feet up the road from me. And like I said, he's blacker than night, so he stands out in the night. Yeah, that's interesting. That description you get with a lot of these things, that blacker than black kind of description. Yeah, he was blacker than black. And I sat up, and I locked eyes with him. His eyes had that amber, it had an amberish color to it, believe it or not. Were they glowing? Kind of. It wasn't like smack you in the face, but it was enough to know that you guys were looking eye to eye. Mm-hmm. He was on all fours, kind of in a crouched position. And I looked up and I, I heard I heard him growl. I heard the growl. I heard the, the growl from the chest. Like, hey, who are you? It wasn't a threat. It was like a question. It hmm. grouted me in question. And when I saw him, it was probably between encounters almost a year and a half mm-hmm. has gone by since those two, between those two. I don't know. You can tell me if, if Jennifer was accurate in this. I guess at least the impression I got from talking to her was like you felt like you had kind of left it behind in Red Lion. And then here yeah. it, it springs up. <laughs> it springs up. Exactly what it was. It was kind of like – yeah. It was like in the. It felt in. I had the. I could feel it in my chest. Even, it felt abandoned. There was a sadness to the growl. It sounded like. Hmm. It's weird, you know. You just kind of can. When you hear a dog whine, you can tell it's what type of mood it's in. Yeah, yeah. You could kind of tell it was angry, but it wasn't. It was sad. But at that time, I was. That's after really looking back in the thoughts and the feelings of it. I jumped in the front seat, you know, because then I'm think safety first, flight or fight. <laughs> yeah. Jumped in the back seat and drove away. And I, I actually heard it follow. I heard it run down the road behind me oh, for really? a second. Yeah. Even with the engine on? Well, yeah, it was, the car was a lot quieter vehicle. We had the windows down still because it was hot. Mm-hmm. But I could hear it because I didn't really peel away. I drove away quickly, but... I could hear its claws pushing the gravel. You know, like when you run on gravel roads, you can hear you kick the gravel up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could hear it throwing the gravel. Yeah, I tell a story. When I was young, I was walking home at night, and I had a a very, very protective dog. He was half collie, half German Shepherd, and he he usually didn't leave my side. But I walked to my friend's house, and, and he would... 
he would go back to the farm after a while if I wasn't like, cause he knew his place was at the farm. So he'd walk back to the farm. I had stayed at my friend's house late and I was walking home and my neighbors had this, this big Newfoundland that they kept on a short chain all day and they'd let it off the chain at night. And this thing was wicked mean, probably because they kept it on a short chain all day. And I'm walking by their house and this thing comes out and its teeth are bared and it's just growling at me. Not really afraid of dogs, but this thing was just showing serious aggression. And I called my dog once, but it's about a quarter mile away. I yelled for my dog. And then a car came down the road and it was in between me and the Newfoundland. And by the time that car passed, that Newfoundland was even closer to me. And I could hear my dog's nails on the road as it was running. Because you're like, cats pull their nails in, but dogs, you know, they're out. I could hear him running full speed. And he came up and took that Newfoundland by the neck and just took it down. He was like, nope, you're not messing with my guy. So you can hear like that running, you know, with those claws on the road. I kind of know what you mean with that. Yeah. And that was kind of the last close encounter I had with it Mm -hmm. for a while. But I always kind of feel like it's, it's close. It's never far. I mean, I would think so after seeing it a number of times, you have to kind of always feel like, well, you know, I've seen it this many times. It must be hanging around. Yeah. Did you ever get a look at the back legs? They were, the knees were reversed. Yeah, hocked like a dog's legs, in, in other words. Correct. The yeah. rear ends were hocked like a dog. Mm-hmm. They were not human Interesting. In yeah. that sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. The courts that you're talking about is super interesting to me because, you know, my listeners have heard it a, a thousand times and I've told it on other podcasts, but just to be brief about it, I, I had a series of encounters in, in Hex Hollow that started by finding a bunch of quartz that had been looked like someone had taken a hammer and smashed. I know this is quartzite. This is the white stuff. Looked like they took a hammer and smashed it into splinters. Uh, the first time I ended was like a small stack of it. And I started stacking it and I would come back and every time it would be changed. And I believe Jennifer mentioned one of the formations you found looked like a, like a bullseye, like a circle with the one in the middle or something. Yes. Is the that top, that was the red line formation. Okay. Actually, it's probably the nicest pieces I've seen in the pile on top. Down in Hex Hollow, when I would change these around, I would make these formations, you know, these little stacks, and I'd come back, and they would be simplified every time, and it would be a triangle with one in the middle. That's how I would find them. No matter what, what I would do, no matter what stack I would make, I'd come back, and I'd find a triangle with one in the middle most of the time. Not every single time, but most of the time, that's what I found when I came back. So that was super interesting when I was like, okay, A, there's you know some something in the quartz family i'm not sure if we're talking about the same rock and then you're you're finding piles of it and stacks of it and then when she said that bullseye design i was like whoa i mean that's not too different than a triangle with one in the middle no this was like basically a symmetrical circle instead of a pyramid mm-hmm. yeah and then i'll actually touch base with the the, the stories of brandywine because i was there for a few of them one night we went out for a midnight drive on a full moon in Brandywine State Forest in Wilmington area. Mm-hmm. And we parked up in a parking lot, which I hate to say it seemed like an uncanny, uncanny occurrence. And we were sitting there just listening to the animals again of the night. Just sitting there in a the parking lot. I don't remember exactly where. Off the top of my head. We're sitting there. And it just goes quiet again. That eerie quiet again. And we're sitting there. I'm like, I said to her, I don't, something don't feel right. 
it, like you just don't feel comfortable now. You feel on edge. And the next thing that I know is windows were cracked and I hear I hear a scuffling in the in the woods coming towards the parking lot. It sounds like something's wrong, something heavy. Because you just hear breaking of limbs, like crushing sounds, like you know, it's the sound when a, a baseball bat makes when it breaks. You know, there's the solid wood of, of that size breaking. Mm-hmm. That's when it sounded like something was running on that, breaking branches of that size, with like disregard to sense of direction. Meaning, it didn't take a certain path; it was going in one particular direction mm-hmm. on a mission or something. Basically, how I want to describe its running pattern. And that we got out of there, and we had we had a few experiences in Delaware that were similar. We didn't hear growls with those or howls or anything. But the the weird part is like you know when you hear a human a person run or something large on two feet, you can tell by the pity pattern it makes when it runs. You know what I'm saying? Like you can yeah. tell just yeah. by sound. Oh yeah, yeah. Those sounds sounded bipedal. There was too much crashing. The 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 bang bangs were too closely staggered with the steps. Yeah, you know, we, with a human you hear a thump or bipedals you hear thump, 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 thump right. as something runs. Yeah. This was like as it runs. Mm-hmm. So it was just it was weird. But every time I had an encounter or a close encounter, everything went silent. Hmm. You you could hear your heartbeat louder because it was that quiet. But yeah, I mean, my pop-up, my grandfather, I call him my pop-up, he used to live in Glenrock, actually around the corner from your sightings you've had near, what, you said Site 7? Um, site 7 is not in Glenrock, but we yeah, we had we did the one show in Glenrock where we're on the rail trail tracking down where a guy had, had some Bigfoot experiences in the 70s. Okay. Well, he he lived on the eastern side, closer to Raymar's Hollow. Okay. Back that kind of not directly back that way, but it's still Glenrock considered. Mm-hmm. And that area just I didn't like being out of the house at night. It was that creepy, and I was a kid. Yeah, you know. So I call that whole area just Hex Hollow is a shorthand. It's yeah. There's something about your your ne- your hairs in your neck stand up the minute it goes dark. Yep. There's something about it's it. It's just eerie. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm kind of more of the bigger believers of cryptics, though. I always try to rule out any other possibilities first. Sure. I still don't understand why, with the Lugaru, why I keep seeing it. I keep trying to reason to find some answer, but I'm not close to it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, we might never know, but you're not alone. I mean, it, it does happen to people. You know what I mean? People will see these things over and over again. They'll move. Like I was talking with Jennifer, I heard stories of people who had intense Bigfoot activity like in Texas and they moved to Michigan and it follows them. And they're like, what is happening? Like, yeah, there's something weird with this stuff. They're not normal animals. You know, we're not dealing with like, we're not dealing with bears. You know, there's something weird about this stuff. We just don't always get to know what's going on with them, you know. And the weirdest part is when I was at the peak of these encounters, you know, I got family out Red Line. I lived in Spring Grove. I could tell when it came with me to a new area. 
because I still had that, I had that feeling that something was there. Mm-hmm. It's just that just, you just know it's that feeling that you just, you can't deny it. Like it's not, it's something different, but it feels familiar in a weird way. Yeah. And that's the thing with this, I, I want to say singular Luca room is every time I feel it or have had those encounters with it, the energy felt the same. The aura behind it felt familiar every time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a new one or a different or it felt like the same creature. Mm-hmm. And that's just the best way I want to put it. And that's my experiences so far. Well, I think it's, you know, having listened to a lot of these these dogman reports, there's often, not always, but often a lot of fear involved and people really feel like these things are terrorizing them. So the fact that, that you're not getting that feeling from Isaac is a very good thing, right? It doesn't seem to be super aggressive. There's something else going on, something weird, certainly. And it's not going to be the kind of thing that you're, you know, you're probably going to end up shaking hands with it. But a lot of these encounters with these things are, they just seem almost like they're trying to get a fear response out of people. So it's good it, that it's not doing that with you. I think at first it might have tried to do the intimidation, we'll call it alpha wing. Yeah, yeah. Like trying, where it tried to assert dominance. Yeah. And I guess after a while it just stopped trying with mm-hmm. me. Because I was scared, but I didn't, I was not scared enough to run away. I was trying to face it. Right, yeah thing with this stuff it's it's always scary because it's weird and it's not supposed to be there yeah and i and i guess from my research of stories on dogmen that they're bloodthirsty ravages you know aggressive creatures you know when i obviously reading all this the fact that i'm not missing or dead again though with all these encounters at least the ones I've heard, like they'll get right up in people's faces and scare the heck out of them, but they don't do anything. Yeah. Not to people. They'll hurt pets and, and other animals and stuff. It's like they haven't done anything to people in, in any of the stories that I've heard. I mean, there's the speculative stories that people think, was it down there in the land between the lakes? They think that dogmen, you know, kill people down there or whatever. But I mean, no one saw it happen to my knowledge. Right. So it, it's kind of, I guess we have a, I would say me and this Luca room might have a mutual respect at this point. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him recently, though I've been working all the time. So I haven't had time to go out to the woods and hike and, you know, do my leisure activities I normally have. Right, right. But there are have times recently, um, out here recently, like I think this summer I felt the presence again of it down in Rob Park in Spring Grove. That's another weird place, man. That's another weird one down there. And I go down there to hike because, you know, it's local. Mm-hmm. And I just know he's down there. I haven't tracked any sightings from there, but I've had people who have had wood knocks and they've been and they've been whooped at and stuff in there. And that's not a huge park. But, you know... I no, don't... that's very... It's a very small park. Yeah. And a very tight ravine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that matters. Back in... I think it was 1980... It was either 79 or 80. I think it was 1980. Someone saw a Bigfoot down there uh, right across from Rob Park. Big old thing. I think they said it was 10 feet tall crossing the road. 
And what's really interesting about that is the date of that sighting. There's a woman in Seven Valleys who, who calls me. She's an older woman. She doesn't have the internet or anything. You know, she used to call me about once a month. Now she calls me once or twice a year. And she just tells me stories. She's been collecting these weird stories her whole life. She says she has notebooks full of them. Super nice woman. And she told me that her father saw black helicopters and this field, one of the fields there was like glowing with a weird light. And she gave me the date and it was the day after this Bigfoot sight. And she'd never heard it about this Bigfoot sighting. She had never heard it. Like I said, she keeps this stuff like a diary. So she had the exact date. And sure enough, it was it was the day after this Bigfoot sighting. And like I said, I think it was 1980, but it might have been 79. It was like, wow. Next day, there's black helicopters, and her her uh, father saw the field like glowing, he said. I must say that I have, I do live in Spring Grove, and there are quite a bit of Apache helicopters flying around in my area. Quite often, believe it or not. Spring Grove's got UFO sightings. It's, I mean, this is the thing. We live in a great place. If you're interested in this stuff, if you're open to this stuff, we live in a great place for it, for sure. Oh, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, yeah. But my encounters seem to be strictly around the Lucaroo for some reason. Oh. Um, I don't know why, once again. Well, please stay in touch. And if you're having, you know, sort of active activity, you know how to get in touch with me. I'm willing to come out and bring recorders and everything else. And, you know, I love being out there in the field. So just keep in touch. I gladly love to take you to some of the spots. And who knows, maybe with me around, you might actually see him since he likes to be around me. I don't know. Hey, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. MJ, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thank you, too. kind of having a little sort of a mini theme running through January here. I, th- I think it's going to be through January where we're revisiting past shows. So we had MJ and we were sort of revisiting the, the last episode, which I didn't know was going to happen. You know, I did not know that it was going to be this week. I think next week's show, we will be revisiting the White Monsters show where when I talked to Mothboy Mike about the book they wrote called The White Monsters from Sherman, New York. The actual witness, John Goodwill, and I talked. So we'll be having more on the White Monsters. I actually got to talk to John, who saw these when he was a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. 10, 11, 12 years old. That was a really, I I ever heard that interview already. I think that was a good interview. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell he's very genuine. Was he a teacher, I believe, or something like that? So he has like a, you can tell people have sort of like a a zest for research and... Yeah. 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 After we talked, I have a couple of hermits from up that area and I told him about him. He got very excited and I ended up sending him those chapters from the book as a preview. That'll be next week. The following week, I think we're going to go way, way back and I just want it to be a surprise. We're not going to announce it yet, but it's... Do you remember what, what... You don't have to say the specific number, but is it within the first 100 shows? Oh, yeah. Within the first 50 shows? Yeah. Within the first twenty-five. Yep, but not the first one. No, the first. <laughs> but the, the first is the first series Raymar. were, were Toad Road and, yeah. and Raymar's Hollow. Yep, it's very early. We're going to go back to, and it might be one of my favorite stories of all time, and it's something I always wanted to do more with, and didn't know really how to approach it. We're going to revisit the original story 
for one episode, and the episode following that, we're going to break it open. We've got so much new information, and that's going to lead to a major project afterwards. This is my next big thing in the paranormal. This is it. I'm all in. This is what I'm doing. So I'm very... I believe you've already assembled a... We have a research team. You have a team. Yeah. Yeah. A gaggle of boys for this. <laughs> it looks like it's good. It's, it's the dream team. Yeah. The it's dream me. Team. Well, yeah. Dream boat number one. <laughs> the wild card. <laughs> I'm the wild card. Baby. <laughs> Chad, John Darby, Mr. Riverbend Comics himself, and Tyler Strand. And we're going to be hitting this hard, hitting the ground running, and digging in deep. So I'm super excited about this, but have to wait a couple weeks till the beginning, and then we will reveal all. But I'm, I'm very, very excited. I wanted to mention that. But it's, it's kind of neat. I realized this sort of theme, I didn't plan for it, mm-hmm. of sort of revisiting older episodes is, is running through January here. Yeah, that's what I like about, you know, history, science, and everything. It's malleable and ever-changing. You know, everything we think of history as this finite thing in the past, but history changes just as much as the future. Well, yeah. And that's why I say we're never done researching. Yeah, yeah. Like, we will find things out about stories that we covered 100 episodes ago mm-hmm. and go, oh, look at this. You know, this connects to that. Speaking of John, next week he will also be on, not to talk about white monsters, mm-hmm. but he has a short story that he told me it's, it's, it's some Ouija weirdness. Let's just put it that way. It's, it's a, just a really odd story, odd bit of Ouija board weirdness. All right. The curiosity of the week. I don't remember you actually buying this, so I don't... I have no clue where I got it. It doesn't have a price on it. I don't, have, I don't know what we paid for it. Yeah. It might <laughs> have know. come with other things. I don't know. But it is a Oddfellows Parade float. You can actually see the OOF or IOF or something there that... You can see the OOF. Yeah, it's like IOOF, right? Is yeah, I think what so. what the Oddfellows is. Yeah, it's an Oddfellows float. It says something. I have to get my loop out. There's like a little sign below this. Your loop guru? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I've found over time I'm kind of turning into my grandmother. I just need like magnifying glasses and loops all over the yeah. house just to yeah. see things. <laughs> but uh, um, it looks like there's a little sign below him or something. I don't know. It is certainly an unusual float. And if we saw it go past, I would be definitely taking pictures today. It's got a guy in what appears to be a black robe. I mean, with black and white photos, you really don't know. That square format like that is what a lot of the brownie cameras... Oh, well, that was like. my next question. When do you think that's from? I'm, I'm guessing 20s, 1920s? Yeah, 20s or 30s, I think. So if you're into fraternal organizations... Secret societies. Dudes in robes. Floats. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're Parades. Floats. If you're a real parade addict. This will be the curiosity of the week. I will take a photograph of this image, or maybe I'll scan it. Either way, it'll be in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase this and other curiosities of the week. Those that are left, while you're there, you can pick up my books. All of them are there on Etsy. They come signed if you order them. Strange Familiars t-shirts, Black Dog, The Eyes of Night, Awoken Tree, Glow in the Dark and Blue. I don't think we have all sizes left in those, but we've got a lot of sizes left. I think we have the Black Dog sweatshirts in 2XL. You're missing the Moth shirt. The, the Mothman shirt. Strange mm-hmm. Mothman Mothman shirt. We have tote bags, the Virgin Mary bandanas, handmade paracord rosaries, lots of different designs there, lots more in stock. For a while it was out of stock. I didn't have time to make any, but 
I spent a lot of time right before Christmas, I think, just making rosaries. So got a bunch of paracord rosaries in stock, artwork, originals and prints. Got some photos there and other ephemera. Our Etsy shop name is Lost Grave. It's in the show notes. Or if you go to Etsy and just type in Lost Grave, one word, it should direct you to our shop. Or if you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up as well. want to thank everybody who supports us on Etsy. That's another way to support the show, and that does help us out as well. And if you live in the general Pennsylvania, Maryland area and you're... Or you're traveling through, perhaps. Or you're traveling through. We'll have a new... I'll have a new store spot, a new vending spot in Columbia, Pennsylvania as of February 10th. Right now, we're in the process of painting. I got myself a column. I think it's Corinthian, but out of all my art history, Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian, I think... I'm guessing it's Corinthian. <laughs> There's a residual Corinthian column in my spot, which is pretty much the whole reason. That, that I was wanted, the selling point. That me. was the selling point. I'd be the person that moves into the house like, look at that old stove. Let's buy the house. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically did that in a, it's a, it's an old art deco theater that's being revamped. In Columbia, Pennsylvania. In Columbia, Pennsylvania. And it, I was just there this week to paint and it looks amazing. The vendors are all like highly, you know, I don't like this word curated, but like, but the, every vendor is completely unique and is kind of building their own little world, which is what yeah. I love about it. It is going to be a cool place. I was in there the other day. I had to tap out because I didn't bring a coat and they had no heat on. And <laughs> but there I, will be heat then. <laughs> I backpedaled out to the car and, and sat in the, in the car while you did some uh, measuring and preparing your spot. It's going to be a cool place. And it'll probably, it won't say Strange Familiars. It'll probably say, say Odd Peacock, which is like what I go by. Mm-hmm. on Instagram. I'm going to out myself. It's mm-hmm. odd with one D. But if anyone's traveling through the area before then, they can always go to Black Rose Antiques in Hanover, Pennsylvania, where we have a stand as well, along with the Chadster. <laughs> the flannel man himself. The winter woodsman. I'd like to wish him a belated special oh, yeah. birthday. Happy, happy birthday, Chad. It's, it's one of those ones that people make a big deal out of. He can reveal what that is. If he wants. If he wants. Usually, like, people don't make a big deal out about, like, a six or an eight behind it. But if you get a zero or a five behind your your birthday, people are like, oh. Yeah. Happy birthday, Chad. Yeah, I forgot to wish him one. We do a lot of our contact through text or messaging on one app or another. And I forgot. So, Chad, happy birthday. Hope you had a great one. I'll be seeing him Saturday. We've got a bit of a paranormal thing. It also involves Lucaroos. Wolfman. Petting zoo? No, no. no. This is, that would this, be an awesome petting zoo. This is a, this Why don't you a, set up a petting zoo with like a dog man, a Sasquatch, oh, that a, w- a moth man? This is a paranormal outing with one Lon Strickler of Phantoms and Monsters, our friend and... Fellow York Countyan. Yes. Or is he in Adams County now? He's on the border. He's Yeah, he's right near that. But in any case, yeah. another guy grew up in York County. Yeah. So I'll bring recorders. You know, we'll see if we if that becomes an episode or not. But yeah, so that's Saturday. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, one word, no underscore. 
And you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com, where you can find our merch as well, strangefamiliars.com slash merch. Oh, yeah.